It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I'm Mark Feinstein, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Matt Klein starred for his college baseball team at DePaul University, but he knew his future was not as a professional player. His love of the game led him to some part-time scouting work for the Brewers in college, then a media relations internship with the Astros, as well as several assignments for baseball prospectus. After earning his law degree at Marquette, Klein was hired by the Brewers on a full-time basis, beginning his ascent up the ladder in Milwaukee's front office. He's worked for general managers Doug Melvin and David Stearns, experiencing many highs and lows during his decade and a half with the club. I had a chance to sit down with Klein at the Brewers Spring Facility in Phoenix, Arizona, before camps shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed his early days as a baseball writer, the arbitration process, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Milwaukee Vice President of Baseball Operations, Matt Klein. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor, Roman. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Matt, you grew up in a suburb of Indianapolis. Uh, did you have a favorite baseball team as a kid growing up in a non-major league market? I did. Um, so thanks to TBS and the fact that I was able to watch the Atlanta Braves every single night, they quickly became my favorite team. Um, like summers to me growing up, if I didn't have my own game, um, I would, you know, we'd, we'd eat dinner as a family. I'd go down to the basement, uh, have a bowl of ice cream, and, and watch the Braves. That seems to be a, a common answer for people who grew up in non-big league towns is that Everybody could get the Braves on TV, so that was a team they followed. Yeah, like basically your choices were the Braves or the Cubs because right, of the right. AGN. Um, and I remember as a as a kid, um, just gravitating toward the Braves thing because I thought the uh, WGN broadcasts were not quite as appealing as the, <laughs> uh, as the TBS broadcast. You know, as a, as a six year old, right? Um, you know, it, it probably didn't hurt that the Braves were also like in the beginning of their you know fourteen year. Uh, stretch there. Right. So all the things that appeal to six-year-olds uh, must have clicked for me. But the lesson is broadcasters matter, right? Yes, broadcasters <laughs> matter and reaching, uh, reaching an audience matters. Right. Yeah. You graduated from DePaul University, uh, played baseball all four years there, finished your career with a school record for RBIs, but you've said that when you were in high school, you knew you were not going to be able to play professionally. Did you know at a young age, whether it was high school or, or even earlier, that 
you wanted to find a way to work in baseball in some capacity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the goal for me ever since I was a little kid was to be a big leaguer. And then um, as you start to mature a little bit um, and you start to see like, oh, you know, only the top 1% of players actually get that opportunity, you start to uh, look at what the other alternatives might be. Um, and so when I was in high school, actually, I started researching, you know, what are the other jobs that are out there? Um, and then you start to see that, hey, look, there's this whole sector of the industry where they need people to run these teams, right? The players don't just, you know, magically appear on their own. Um, so then you start to research what it is that those individuals did in their background to get them to where they were. And one of the things that was a common thread um, that I found was a lot of them went to law school. So when I was in high school, I actually had a pretty good idea that I was eventually going to want to go to law school, not necessarily uh, to be a practicing attorney per se, um, but because it was going to help me, in theory, uh, end up with a major league baseball team. Your first job in baseball, I believe, was a half-year stint as an intern in the Astros Media Relations Department. So that was actually like my third job. Oh, in was baseball. it? Yeah. So I probably Got my chronology very, wrong. No, I probably haven't done a very good job updating my LinkedIn profile. So <laughs> believe it or not, so my actual my first job uh, in baseball um, was interning for Baseball Prospectus. Uh-huh. I, I thought that was after, so yeah. we'll get to that uh, as well. So yeah, so there were like there were like three that were all kind of going concurrently. Um, and this is why you're still in college. Yes. Yeah, so this is so starting my sophomore year in college, um, started interning for Baseball Prospectus. Um, in an interesting kind of coincidence, I actually replaced Heim Bloom right. at, at Baseball Prospectus. He had left to take a full time job with the Rays. Um, they had a need. Uh, I happened to run into um, one of their guys at the time, it was Will Carroll. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I had started a dialogue, he ended up hiring me. Um, and then I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but. One of the things that one of the responsibilities that I had was actually prior to podcast being an actual thing, we actually used to run a weekly syndicated radio show out of Indianapolis. Um, so my job was to like set the show themes, schedule guests, reach out to club employees, um, not dissimilar from what we're doing here today, um, and and just uh, coordinate what our show schedules were going to be on a weekly basis. So that was kind of my first foray into like speaking with executives, speaking with media, um, getting to know individuals throughout the industry. Hard to believe we ever lived in a world before podcasts, I know, right? right? Like, what, what, <laughs> how did we manage? Um, so, Baseball Prospectus still has three of your stories archived okay. oh, on their no. website. I'm, probably, I'm embarrassed what they might say. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going there. <laughs> oh, they were all under the Fantasy Focus uh, banner. Perfect. Big fantasy Great. baseball guy, which I guess makes sense if you want a career as, a, as yeah, an executive. When you're, when you're you were, 20, that might be the path. Right? Yeah. One of them looked at Daisuke Matsuzaka's fantasy value. Another one looked at the effects of the moves made at the winter meetings. Okay. I won't razz you about your prediction that Jason Schmidt was going to have a huge first year with the Dodgers. Um, the third one was called Seven Simple Rules, and it was your rules of how to succeed in a fantasy league. Oh, boy. Um, one of those rules was young players with upside are better than aging former stars. A little bit of foreshadowing there? Uh, perhaps. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I don't uh, completely remember writing that article. The internet's um, a great thing, it isn't is, it? Yeah. Well, either great or horrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that is applicable whether you're 20 years old and trying to pretend like you know what you're doing um, or you're, you know, 34 and actually trying to help win a, a World Series um, where it counts. So then you, you did do a half year with the Astros uh, in the media relations department. You know, I... You knew you wanted to get into a front office. Yeah. Was that 
just a way to get a foot in the door? Was it taking a look at what that side of it was? It was. So it, it's actually funny. Um, so I actually interviewed for three different positions with Houston for that semester, um, one of which was a baseball ops internship that I did not get. And looking back, they actually told me one of the reasons was that um, they didn't like the fact that I had done fantasy work for baseball perspectives <laughs> because they said, look, this isn't fantasy, this is reality. And at the time, you're, you know, you don't quite understand like what they're talking about maybe as a as a 21-year-old kid, um, but but looking back now, that you know, you realize, oh yeah, they they were very right. It's very different. You mentioned that uh, you'd followed Haim at Baseball Prospectus. He's talked about how he really enjoyed that yeah. that part of it. You know, getting into it and, yeah. and writing about baseball. Did you like the writing? Was that something that you know that, that at any point you said I actually really like doing this and maybe that's a career? Of course, as a baseball writer, I'm always interested to hear what people who did it even for a short time mm-hmm. think about their experience doing that. Yeah, so I think more uh, specifically than the writing aspect of it, it's the more the analyzing players and analyzing how um, players get to value, which I think is a very applicable um, both in a writing setting but also in a, in a roster building setting. It's you know how can we find value that maybe isn't uh, apparent on the surface. Um, so as much as I would like to tell you that you know I had ambitions to be a writer, that, that probably isn't uh, 100% accurate. It was more of, look, I was in college, I was looking for an opportunity. Um, this was the one that happened to present, present itself as, as a stepping stone to the next thing. Well, like you said, you had a chance to reach out and speak with executives and club people. Yeah. Uh, did you stay in touch with any of those people? Did you try to form relationships that you hoped would, would help you down the line? Yeah, I think absolutely you do. Well, also... Um, Knowing in the back of your mind that they also have hundreds of college students like myself trying to form relationships with those individuals. I mean, even in my role today, I mean, we get probably close to a thousand unsolicited uh, emails a year just of individuals, you know, looking for a job in baseball. Um, I will tell you one quick funny anecdote uh, from my time at Baseball Perspectives. I remember um, I was told that Brian Cashman, like, owed us an interview or owed somebody a favor. And so I I called his secretary, left a message, never expected to hear back. I'm back home. Um, it must have been the summer. I remember driving in our little small town, and I get a call on my cell phone. And on the other end, the, the, the gentleman says, hey, this is Brian Cashman returning your phone call. And I about drove my car off the side of the road. <laughs> um, so I had to, like, pull over, you know, take the call, um, collect my thoughts there for a second, and, and relay that to, to my bosses back at PP. Have you told Cash that story? Uh, I have not. Maybe he's listening to your podcast. <laughs> there you go. I assume he's a, a fervent listener of the podcast. Uh, yes, one so. would only assume. Um, so you did end up going on to go to law school. You got your law degree at Marquette in 2011, obtained a certificate, a certification in sports law from the National Sports Law Institute. So you've done a little bit of writing. You've worked in a media relations department, but you also were an associate scout yes. for the Brewers during your time in law school. Yes. How did that come about? Um, so that also actually started when I was an undergrad. Uh, so that began my junior year. Um, so that would have been 2007 was my first year with the Brewers. Um, it just so happened that the law school that I wanted to attend also happened to be in Milwaukee. So it was kind of the, the convergence of uh, two very fortunate events. One that I was already working for the Brewers. Um, and how that came about, to, to more directly answer your question, was there was a, a scout by the name of Mike Farrell who worked for us, um, who I had known since I was like nine years old. Like I took pitching lessons from him or something as a small child and just had always stayed in touch with him. Um, and then after I had gotten the opportunity with Baseball Perspectives, I, just, I reached out to him, um, 
expressing, you know, just my interest in furthering, um, kind of furthering my career, taking that next step of what do I need to do to, to give myself a better chance to work in baseball. And he was nice enough to bring me on um, as an associate scout with the Brewers, uh, teach me about what he did and his role. Um, and then essentially starting the summer of my junior year in college, if I didn't have my own summer league game, they would send me around Indiana and go watch um, – whoever the assignment was for that day. I remember, you know, Jared Parker was one of the guys that they had me go watch. He ended up being a first-round pick. Um, so it was it, it was a very fortunate um, kind of just convergence of um, things that I were, were interested in already, had some background uh, working in the industry with, with BP, um, with Houston, and then bring, being brought aboard as a, as a college student with, with Milwaukee prior to even going to law school. So you played college ball, but yeah. scouting's a different – animal than playing yes did you feel like you knew what you were doing did they have to teach you how to scout i mean i, I think every college kid thinks they know what they're doing and then you, and then you look back and <laughs> in any like, in yeah, any area no yeah and then you look back and you're like oh man i really had no idea what i was doing um i, I think that's probably um true about a lot of facets of our game is uh, you look back to something you were doing maybe 5 10 15 years ago and you, and you realize how far we've actually come as an industry um, in our understanding of the game. Um, so, yeah, I thought I knew what I was doing, but then you look back and you're like, actually, you probably didn't. So most kids in college are in college trying to get their degree so they can go do what they want to do. Yeah. You had already started doing what you wanted to do while you were in school. Yeah. You had thought ahead about law school. Was there any part of you that said when you graduated from DePauw, why am I going to go to law school? I'm already working for the Brewers. Uh, no, because I wasn't getting paid. Um, oh well, so there's a big wanna, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We left that part out. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you want to if you want to make an income, you better go uh, go do the next step. Um, which for me, you know, was going to law school. Spent three years there, um, and then got brought on full time uh, upon graduating law school. So in law school, you had roles uh, as an intern in baseball ops. You finally moved yes. into baseball ops uh, and amateur scouting. How did those jobs kind of help you shape the direction you wanted to take in your career? Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. So um, my first internship with Milwaukee in the office was um, after my first year of law school. And then there was an individual in the office who contributed to the salary arbitration practice um, who ended up leaving the Brewers. And they were kind of looking around the office and they're like, well, we need help. And they look at me and they're like, well, you're in law school. You ought to be able to do this. So basically by my second year of law school, um, I was working during the day for the Brewers and then taking classes at night. Um, so that, you know, for two years it was a very busy schedule, but it allowed me the opportunity to see um, everything from kind of the, the baseball ops side of things and the scouting um, viewpoint um, while also contributing to the, to the more um, legal aspect of the salary arbitration process. The 2018 reached the postseason for the first time since 1982. Yeah. You hadn't been with the club very long. Right to go through the, the grind that a lot of yeah. people there probably had. But could you see what that season meant to the fans and to the city? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could feel an energy. And I think that's one of the things, um, even now, after having a few seasons over the last decade um, where we've, we've put really good teams on the field, we our fans bring it every night. And that's, that's something that players take notice of, our staff takes notice of. Um, it fuels us, you know, in the office because – we want to put a product on the field that makes people um, proud of their team, that, that energizes people. Um, and you could feel it, being even being new to Milwaukee, is like 
look, they hadn't been to the postseason in, I think it was 26 years. Um, and there was an energy about that city, uh, within the city, that, that was very palpable. I know you weren't in the room for any of the talks. You were very low level at the time. But when you when the Brewers got Sabathia, that seemed to be the key to, to sort of spurring on that team to get where it was. What was it like seeing not only them acquire him, but just seeing the impact he had on the field in the clubhouse? I mean, he was in, in Milwaukee for about four months, and yet Brewers fans that I've talked to speak of him, you know, reverently. Yeah, and, and that's because of how well he performed during that stretch. I mean, I don't think anyone would tell you that they expected him to be um, unhittable for four months, but he was. I mean, he that was probably the, the best four-month stretch um, I would imagine of anybody in Brewers history. I mean, the, the guy put the team on his back, pitched every fourth day, um, and then it culminated with that final game uh, at Miller Park um, in, in late September of 2008, and the, the place just went nuts. And it's, you know, to, to watch a guy do that um, and, and essentially carry a team and carry a pitching staff was, was very special. So you get your law degree, you get hired full-time as a baseball operations assistant, held that role for two years, moved through the front office in the ensuing years, coordinator of advanced scouting, baseball contracts in 2013, manager of baseball operations in 2014. Um, what were those early years like for you as a full-time employee, sort of really getting your feet wet in this in this industry? Uh, I think it's a very eye-opening. When I think a lot of people who have the idea that they want to work in baseball have a preconceived notion of what that means. Uh, I think from the outside, you know, we see um, the elements of our industry that get media attention and, and that make it on, whether it's MLB Network or ESPN or what have you, um, they see the roster building aspect of, of the job that we do. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't see and what you only really get a view of when you're really inside of it is everything else that goes on, um, whether it's just like people management, um, you know, putting out daily fires that happen to come through your email. Um, you know, we are an industry much like every other industry where there are things that we take care of behind the scenes that may not directly contribute to what you see on the field, but they have to get done. They're just, you know, whether it's an administrative process, um, I, you know, I think a great example actually is the uh, renovation efforts to build the, the, this new facility that we have here in Phoenix is, I mean, that was a multi-year project that, you know, People show up to spring training in 2019 and like, wow, what a great facility. Well, that was many, many years in the making and, and hundreds of meetings and trips to Phoenix um, and learning about uh, you know, the construction trade about which I knew nothing about prior to um, embarking on that project. But it's, it, 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 it's a really eye-opening experience where you, know, it's, you learn much more than just the baseball side of things. When you came aboard, Doug Melvin was the general manager, had that job for a long time. Yeah. Until 2015, what did you learn most working with Doug? Uh, you learn the importance of, of building connections with people. You know the people element. Uh, I think it was one of Doug's really um, like strongest aspects was that um, you know he can command a room, he can hold a room um, because he connects with people. And you know you um, you talk to people or people bring up Doug, and it's always positive. And I think that's something that, that we all can learn from is you know um, take time to get to know people build a relationship, because um, that goes a long way. Even though, you know, a lot of times, again, what gets media attention are the transactions that, that we engage in. Um, a lot of times those transactions start from relationships. When David Stearns was hired as GM in 2015, he retained you as well as a handful of other executives mm -hmm. from the prior regime. 
Um, what was the transition like going from one GM to another? Yeah, look, I think it's there's always a learning curve for everybody as to um, different management styles and what is going to be expected of you um, under one regime versus another. I think the, the, the great thing that David did, frankly, was like give everybody an opportunity to showcase what they what they can do and how they can contribute. Um, it would have been really easy to come in, clean house, um, bring in all your own guys, um, and and roll that way. But you know, I think it's a testament to him and, and a big credit to him and his style is that hey, like let me give this some time, let me see what we have here. Um, much like we do with our, with our player roster, frankly, is. Like, let's evaluate the, the talent that we have um, and then decide upon the best direction to take the organization. I mean, there's something to be said for institutional knowledge of, you know, David comes into a place where he hasn't been before, or any GM comes into a new place. There are people who are here already who know how things work in terms of not necessarily how you're going to construct your roster, but just running the organization and people in the organization and, you know, just the history of things here. There's something to be said for that, right? Yeah, 100%. I, you know, institutional knowledge is important, but equally important is open-mindedness and the ability to not only um, deal with what, the way things have been done in the past, but also be able to adapt and, and try to put yourself on the forefront of how things are going to be done, not necessarily now, but two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Because if you can get ahead of that, then you provide yourself a competitive advantage um, vis-a-vis your, your competition. What have you learned most from David over these four plus years? Oh, that's a great question. Um, man, I, I tell you what, uh, it, the great thing about David is that he is as pragmatic as an individual as you will come about. It's um, it would be really easy for someone in his position to um, just take the organization in whatever direction he thinks it should go in at that moment, um, but the ability to be rational and to uh, gain other people's insights, opinions, thoughts, um, I think is is very clearly a very important characteristic of a leader, and I think it's something that he does extremely well. You've been with the Brewers for 15 years now, yeah. or close to it anyway. Yeah. Uh, you've gone through the good, through the bad. Uh, you've had a winning record in each of the past three years. Mm-hmm. First time that's happened for Milwaukee since 1978 to 80. Right. How have you seen the culture change among the organization in recent years? Yeah, I think the one thing you, you feel is like energy and pride of whether you're a player, a staff member, um, someone in the front office. I, I think we all feel that. And I think that's a huge testament actually to Craig um, and his staff is that they build a culture of connectivity of, hey, you know, it's not just about me, it's about the team. Like, let's put the team for ourselves. And I think that um, is applicable not only for players and the coaching staff, but frankly to uh, those of us in the office as well is that like let's do what we can to maximize our odds of winning World Series if we do that on a team level then everyone will have a better chance of reaching whatever their individual goals are um, so it really is it's an energy it's a connectedness um, you know again it, it, I think you see this in our fan base as well I mean they, they bring they bring a lot of energy and it, it is something that we feed off of and we know the players feed off of it as well 2018, Brewers get to Game 7 of the NLCS. What was that run like, getting that close to the World Series? Uh, it was incredible. Um, you know, I, I think my favorite time of the year is playoff baseball, um, which is, as for as stressful as it is, the moments when you get to celebrate team accomplishments are the reason that we do what we do. 
Um, you know, so especially when you get to do it either in front of your uh, in front of your home crowd, um, or like we did in in the last couple of years, many of those celebrations were on the road in someone else's clubhouse. Um, those are really really exciting moments. I mean, I'll tell you, Game Seven um, ran the gamut of emotions for me. Um, I, you know, when when Yelich hit the first inning home run, you know, I had like goosebumps all over, and I'm, I'm like, you know, thinking, oh my God, you know, here we go, like we're gonna do this. Um, but that's that's what it's all about. That's why we do what we do. You know, I mean, that's if if you are not someone who's geared up for winning and winning on the biggest of stages, then you're in the wrong industry. Your job, according to your bio, includes a number of different responsibilities. <laughs> Hopefully, the media relations department wrote my bio well. Right, as I say, if not, Vasallo's <laughs> going to hear from you. Right, uh, you have a hand in overseeing roster construction, player evaluation, contract negotiation administration of the department's strategic initiatives, among many other areas. Is there one that you consider your strength? Um, I would tell you, you know, just being able to apply the, the actual legal knowledge to kind of the, the roster construction and contract side of thing, whether it's salary arbitration or pre-arbitration uh, compensation plans for players, um, you know, kind of blending that and the administrative side of things with, like talent evaluation, um, I, I think those would be the, the my strongest areas. So law school helped. You were right. Law school helped. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So that, that that gamble paid off. You mentioned arbitration. You do lead the team's arbitration department. What's the process for preparing a case when you need to go to a hearing? Yeah. So for us, it starts um, the day after the regular season ends. Frankly, I, I think one of the things that we do to try to provide ourselves um, as much of an advantage as we can is to prepare. Um, if you are a club that's willing to put in the time and the effort on the front end of things. It makes it much easier, not only during the negotiation itself with the agents, um, but in the event that you cannot come to an agreement, it eliminates the need to just like scramble to put a case together at the end. So I would tell you, it's it's really just about preparation and trying to get out ahead of things. And of course, it is always our goal to come to an agreement with the player. Um, you know, the arbitration system being what it is, it, it's not our first choice to end up in a hearing room. Um, but we put ourselves in a position through preparation uh, to execute the best case that we possibly can if, if we need to. Following up on that, arbitration cases have been known to get contentious. Um, do you ever get concerned about lingering hard feelings between the team, the team and a player if you have to go to a hearing? Um, I, look, I, I think a hearing is never our first choice. Um, we try to approach it uh, from very much a market-based view where we're not – you know, we try not to attack the player. We try to say, like, here are the player's skill sets. Here, here's the player's performance. Um, here's how this fits into the market. So it, we very much allow ourselves to eliminate that that vibe of like attacking your own player, um, because that can get that can get a little uh, awkward or, or tenuous in the room itself. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't consider it a huge concern because we try to be very tactful and very respectful in the way that we go about it, the process. One of your other responsibilities is managing the Baseball Operations Department's internship program. Have you seen the general profile of applicants change in recent years? I mean, you've seen the the profile of people working in baseball has certainly changed in the past 5, 10, 15 years. Has that led to a, a real change in the in the types of people who are applying for jobs and internships? 100%, yes. The, the caliber of intern that we have the ability to hire today um, far outpaces what it was 10 years ago. Um, I think a lot of this is we as an industry have done a better job of communicating the skill sets that we're looking for. So that way students know what to prepare for, what courses to take, what skills 
um, that we're specifically targeting. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things that we put a lot of pride in is hiring really good interns and, and very strong entry level folks because at the end of the day, those are the people that we try to grow into um, being members of our front office. I know that a large segment of people who listen to this podcast are people who probably have applied for jobs yep. and internships with you. I yep. have a lot of people at the winter meetings, you know, kids come up to me, oh, I love your podcast. It's helped yeah. me try to, you know, get an idea. If you had one piece of advice to give to somebody in college or law school who's looking to break into the baseball business on the front office side, what would that advice be? Create your own work product and get it out there. Um, you know, whether that's on Twitter um, or, you know, trying to get an internship with Fangraphs or Baseball Prospectus or Baseball America, any of these public-facing companies um, that will have opportunities to put work product in front of a large set of readers or listeners, do that. Because, you know, every team listens to, listens to whether it's a podcast um, or, you know, every team reads articles on Fangraphs. Every team reads what Baseball America puts out there. Every team reads Baseball Prospectus. Um, so, you know, if you're a student and you can get your work on one of those platforms, it will be seen. And if clubs think highly of that work product, they're going to find a way to contact you. There are transactions that change the fortunes of teams. Um, there are transactions that don't. But you guys had one in particular. You've had a lot of good players here over the years. But a couple of years ago, you had one that won the MVP award. When you think back to the process that you guys went through, in acquiring Christian Yelich, mm-hmm. how did that how did that trade come about? And did you guys have any real idea that he was going to have that type of impact? So look, I, I think when we approached that, we viewed it as an opportunity to bring a really high caliber player into the organization. Um, you never know if you're really going to match up with another club in terms of what they're looking for. Um, you know who they value within your system. I mean, there's always going to be a difference between who we view as our best prospect and who another team. May view is our best prospect. You don't all just follow OMB Pipeline's rankings? I know, yeah. We don't just go on MLB.com <laughs> and sort it out um, based on their, yeah. On their you should. List. I know. It'd make our jobs a lot I mean, easier. You know, those um, guys do a good job. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think with every trade, um, there are there are a number of complicating factors um, that go into it. Um, I, you know, we, we knew he was a very talented player. I think if anyone would tell you today that they knew he was going to win the MVP, they'd be lying to you. Um, but we saw it as an opportunity to add, you know, to the top end of our roster, and, and we jumped at that opportunity. How much of your desire to acquire him had to do with his contract? I mean, he was a guy who people looked at as a high-end player who was on a, you know, quote-unquote team-friendly deal, but there was control there. You weren't acquiring a guy who was going to be free agent in a year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's maybe a microcosm of our bigger uh, viewpoint on building our roster is we're just looking for value, right? Whether it's via the trade market or via waiver claim or a minor league free agent signing, um, we're simply looking for value. And I, I think a lot of times, you know, when you hear this narrative that, that maybe the Brewers do things a little differently, it's because we're just trying to squeeze out um, as much value as we can out of whether it's a player acquisition um, or a strategic in-game move. With the Yelich deal... Um, the Marlins that winter unloaded a few players, mm-hmm. right? Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna, under new ownership. When you see a team that's in a situation where they're making players like this available, does that does it almost get the the competitive juices flowing of knowing that 
a lot of other teams are going to be trying to get these players too, but there's an opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we try to get as much information as we can as to what maybe a, a market for a player is going to be, whether it's the trade market, the free agent market, the, you know, what have you. Um, I don't think we, we can spend too much time worrying about what other teams might be doing. We just have to act on the opportunities that present themselves as the best chance for the Brewers. Um, because in reality, we're never going to know exactly what the other 29 teams are, are thinking or what, what opportunities they're going to be pursuing. Um, we just have to act on the opportunities that appear to be in the best interest of the Milwaukee Brewers. Another area uh, that you handle, you're the so-called rules expert in, so, in the so department. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, rules expert. <laughs> I don't expert. know who said that. But yeah. Rules expert is not a job, but I believe I read that you yeah. were the rules expert in the department. Okay. Um, as baseball rules continue to evolve on the field, off the field, how challenging is it to keep up with them and make sure that you are, you know, sort of at the tip-top shape of knowing everything that you need to know? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, there's look, there's a we, – we joke all the time about how many rules there are in baseball. There's there's a rule book that applies uh, specifically to transactional rules. There's a whole separate rule book that applies to, like, on-field play rules. Um, MLB also produces a, a third book that's they call regulations. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone – would tell you that they know every rule in baseball and that they're an expert in every single rule. Um, luckily, MLB has a great resource for us that so we can just reach out um, to an individual in their league office anytime we need clarification on something. And we, we take full advantage of that um, because the last thing you want to do is, is to boggle some small administrative detail um, that, that could have consequences for whether your roster or your, your staffing. Um, but yeah, there, there are no shortage of rules for which we need to uh, stay on top of. I had Bob Miller on this podcast a couple of years yeah, ago, yeah. and he did not say it, but others have said he's the one guy that knows all the rules. Yeah, he, <laughs> he may be, if he is, God bless him. Um, you know, you know, look, there are there are individuals in the league office who are um, who are point of contact for us for that as well. Players are constantly working on trying to improve some aspect of their game yeah. that they feel they need to get better at. If there's one aspect of your job that you wanted to improve upon and you thought you needed to get better at, what would that be? That's a great question. Um, you know, I would tell you it is it is the communication with not only the people that work for me in my department, but also outside of other departments. Um, you know, and that's one of the things I think we were talk, talking about earlier is that, you know, very rarely do we have opportunities for face-to-face contact um, outside of perhaps spring training or um, if individuals are, are traveling to Milwaukee or if we're traveling outside of Milwaukee. Um, you know, things like email, Slack, um, et cetera, are great. Text messaging is great for instant communication. Um, there's nothing that can replace face-to-face communication uh, just as far as building relationships. Um, and, and I think that's an area that as our industry gravitates more and more toward the use of technology, um, making sure that we maintain and establish real genuine connections across the board is something that I think everyone can, can continue to focus on. What's your favorite part of your job? Uh, my favorite part of my job is when we are celebrating a team accomplishment. That is by far the best. What's your least favorite part? The time away from our families. That is that is the one part of the job that is tough. Um, you know, and, and but but we all know that comes with the territory. You know, we, we love our jobs. We're very fortunate to have the jobs that we do. Um, it's a little tougher, you know, when you, when you, let's say you have a small child like I do, and if you're lucky, you may see them for an hour or two a day. Um, that is by far the toughest part. Do you have long-term 
goals in the game in terms of your own career? Is it important to you become a GM at, GM at some point? Um, do you, I mean, you're, you're still a young guy. Do you look ahead at your career and say, this is where I ultimately want to get to? I, I think for me the biggest thing is to be involved in um, the, op- the direct operation of the club. Um, I think having an influence on the direction of an organization is ultimately what a majority of people in this industry want. Um, they want to know that the work product that they are providing directly contributes to wins and losses on the field. I think more so than a specific title, I think it's um, just having that opportunity. And I will, you know, I will tell you that's, that's one of the great things about having David and Matt in the leadership positions that they are is um, they allow us to have that uh, in our current roles. It's, it's we can we can directly see the impact that that we are making on the field. You mentioned before the excitement that the city had when you guys were in the playoffs and in LCS, and you've seen the city get really hardcore behind your team. They've never won a World Series. What do you think it would mean to the fan base and to the city for you guys to win it all? I think we would see uh, the biggest party Milwaukee's ever thrown. Um, You know, that is something we think about a lot, is that we, we know that, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers have never won a World Series, and that drives us. Like, we want to be the first... Um, the first group to lead the Brewers to a World Series. That's it's really important to us. Matt, thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate hey, it. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Many thanks to Matt Klein for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. In our next episode, I'll be joined by former big league pitcher Craig Breslow, the Cubs' director of pitching and special assistant to the president and general manager. We'll discuss his decision to become a baseball player rather than a doctor, his lengthy big league career, his experience pitching for Team Israel, his move to the front office life, and much, much more. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinstein. Stay safe, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.